theme I've constantly returned to in these podcasts is the concept of multiple dimensions, the fifth and even the sixth or seventh dimension. And I want to return to that theme today. It's such an important concept, but it's so difficult to understand. I would say that if you take the time and trouble to understand it, it could and probably would totally change your view of the world. The atheists of the skeptics, who I'm highly derisory of and have been in these podcasts, have the attitude that if these ideas don't fit in with their way of thinking, then they reject them out of hand. And, of course, if you come across ideas that seem alien it's easy to do and it's sometimes difficult to grasp ideas that go against your usual way of thinking it's almost as if you're trying to grab hold of something which is so slippery you don't get a start Um, nothing seems to make any sense because it all self-references and you have to make assumptions in order to understand other things and so on So you have to turn off your critical faculty in order to understand these things, but it's well worth doing. Now, I recently came across an online post and somebody um, pointed out that um, the tomb of Tamerlane um, was... uh, we buried with full Islamic burial rites on December the 20th, 1942, about one month before the Soviet victory at Stalingrad. Um, and the what he's saying is, well, this is, you know, this is a, is this cause and effect? And somebody said, no, you're stupid enough to believe it's cause and effect. It's obviously just a coincidence. And somebody said, you know, curses are an illusion. They do not affect anything because they are superstition. And it is truly a coincidence. It's purely chance. No one could possibly be believe the German invasion only happened because the curse knew that the crypt would be opened hours before an invasion which had been planned for months. Now, this is, of course, the atheist and sceptical way of looking at things. It's the supposedly scientific way of looking at things that we assume everything has a cause and effect, and the cause and effect happen in time. The cause happens before the effect. This is an assumption of science, and which is why science is such a limited, even when it's done properly, and it's not usually even done properly, it's such a limited way of looking at things. And I've pointed out that if you accept that there's a fifth dimension and I'm going to explain what that fifth dimension is to a certain extent then events can be related in five dimensions which appear to have no relationship in four dimensions in exactly the same way as things can be related in three dimensions that don't appear to have a relationship in two dimensions And things can be related in four dimensions that don't appear to have a relationship in three dimensions. 
and I gave some examples and I'll give another one now. Um, two, two things that uh, if there's a, a ball which is being thrown at you, the ball is in mid-flight and it has no proximal association with you in the sense that it's not near you. There are things that are nearer you in space, but it's coming at you. So the relationship is in time. And of course, <coughs> if we move forward in time, the ball might hit you. Um, the relationship is in time, not in space. Not, not, well, it's not in space, because in space there's other things that are nearer that appear to have no relationship particularly at all. And of course, this relationship in time, this, this thing coming towards you, you know, um, you could be out somewhere and a plane suddenly uh, crashes and crashes down and destroys your home. Um, but the event that caused it could have been hundreds of kilometers away from your house. Um, the relationship is not in proximity, it's in time. So we can see that in four dimensions, things can have a relationship they don't have in three dimensions. So we can carry that through to five dimensions. And things can have a relationship in five dimensions that don't appear to have a relationship in four dimensions. And the fifth dimension I've called, and it is in one sense consciousness, but there's more to it than that. Uh, in my writings, and if you look at my website, I describe uh, the shortest distance between two shorts, between two points, on a flat surface is a straight line. The shortest distance between two points on a curved surface is a curved line. The shortest distance, and I, I extrapolate this, the shortest distance between two points and four dimensions is effectively what we call gravity. And there's some other things behind that which I won't go into just at the moment. And the shortest distance between two points in five dimensions is what we call entropy. Now, the scientists who really have no understanding of this at all, and a lot of what they talk about is simply circular reasoning. And if you go to Wikipedia or any other website and they, they have a picture of gravity, they show a curved surface and things falling into the middle of the, you know, the flat surface because it's got a, a kind of like a rubber, uh, a rubber sheet and it falls into the middle of the rubber sheet. And this is circular reasoning. You're describing gravity by using something falling, which is, of course, a gravitational force. It's absurd that this is, permeates a lot of so-called scientific thinking. Now, when we talk about, that they talk about time as an arrow of time, and related to this arrow of time, if you read the conventional scientific literature, is uh, entropy. Uh, entropy is the amount of order there is in things. And there's um, a concept. Now, zero entropy is absolute order, and infinite entropy is absolute disorder. 
And there's a tendency in the universe to go from order to, to disorder. And one of the signs of intelligence is that we reverse that. We create order. So we manufacture a car out of a lot of raw materials by putting energy and thought and effort and so on into it. Um, and the car has, has lower entropy, it's more ordered than we might say, than that sort of pile of iron ore and the other things that, that made it up. Uh, but left to itself, that car will rust, it would decay, it would degrade, and it would go back into being disordered. This is the natural flow of the universe. As human beings, we reverse that, which is why uh, another indication of the fifth dimension uh, being intelligence and being um, consciousness, which can reverse <clears throat> entropy. Now, the thing is about entropy, and what's in interesting is that this is they blithely say, "Oh, there's a uh, we move from order to disorder." And I point out in my writings that if we have a beach and we in that beach build a sandcastle, you might argue, and most people would, that the sandcastle is lower entropy. It is more ordered than the random state of, of sand which preceded it and, of course, left to itself the sandcastle degrades and goes back into the sand. The entropy raises. But it could be argued, and a Buddhist might argue, and, and I would in one sense, that everything is exactly as it should be. In other words, that sandcastle is not more ordered than the random state of um, the beach. It's simply easier to understand. So in other words, it's not so much that the universe is becoming more disordered. It's that we need more intelligence to understand the order there is. And this is why we say that the, um, the fifth dimension is consciousness, it's intelligence, it's rationality, it's understanding, or it's an aspect of that, of that. Now, getting back to um, Talleyrand the, the, the Great, who was buried, and um, uh, the attack on Russia, which appeared to have no causal relationship to it, is that those events are related not in time and space they are related in a five dimensional sense but in order to understand that relationship of five dimension we have to have an understanding of the events in a different way so this requires intelligence it's not so a simple you know this happens then that happens we need intelligence to understand the events that are going on. And I pointed out, I think in my previous podcast, that another example of this is horoscopes um, and um, astrology. There appears to be no reason in time and space why somebody born in a particular time of the year 
could have particular characteristics, and especially why those characteristics should have some relationship to some very abstract uh, things such as the position of the stars. And of course, the position of the stars is purely a subjective, earthbound view of the universe. And the actual you know, dots that make up stars, or in some cases even galaxies, might be billions and billions of years, uh, light years apart. They may be travelling in totally different directions and so on. So what you're seeing is something extremely subjective. So why somebody born under the sign of Gemini should have particular Geminian characteristics, of course, makes no, I was going to say logical sense. But logic, as we well know, is only as good as the parameters you supply. It makes no causal sense in terms of science and in terms of cause and effect. There is no reason. But as I've stated, in five dimensions, things can have a relationship which appear to have no relationship in four dimensions. So that five-dimensional relationship between the position of the uh, the parent position of the stars, and even that's not not fully fully accurate, but that's beyond the scope of this. Um, and the characteristics of somebody born is is what is an association through ideas. In other words, it's an association through intelligence and understanding. That is one of the bases behind the fifth dimension. Now. Things like curses and so on, people enacted them who had an understanding of five dimensions. And I've pointed out before that there are people who have done what we might call the mystical journey and have achieved this understanding of five dimensions in uh, the terms of, of, I've talked about before, Plato's shadows in the cave, they have escaped from the cave and seen the reality. And these people are often behind, you know, such things as curses and behind the origination of astrology and so on. People who haven't actually got that full understanding can still understand aspects of it. You know, it's possible even a one-eyed person can have an can have an understanding of um, three dimensions, even though they can't see in three dimensions. It's possible for people who are colorblind to have some abstract understanding of color, even though they can't see in color. And on that subject of color, I wrote an essay some many years ago, and it was called The Colorless World. And I describe a world in which the whole population is colorblind, except for a small percentage who can see in color. Now, there's no language to describe colors because these people are all isolated. They don't have enough um, grouping among themselves to understand what they're seeing. And of those people who see in color, some might be partially colorblind, some might be red, green colorblind, and so on. There may even be people who are colorblind who think they can see in color. And 
sometimes these people in skin colour have a reputation for having some extraordinary abilities because they can discern things that people in the coloured world can't discern, uh, in the colourless world can't discern. Now, it may be that some of the more enlightened, in inverted commas, scientists in this colourless world might try and study these people, but they would find it very difficult because even if they use words to describe the colour, what one person, you know, they're seeing yellow, one person might describe as the colour blanc, another one might be described as the colour gunk, uh, because there's no common language between them. And so there's no way for the tester who doesn't see in colour to understand they're actually talking about the same colour, or even for them to understand they're talking about the same colour, although that might come, they might realise that after some time. And then there's the pretenders, the people who say they can, or even think they can see in colour, but actually can't. And you know, those people who think they can see in colour, but can't, or pretend to see in colour, might actually be the most convincing, because they know how to talk to colourblind people. We're in exactly the same position as people who get glimpses into this fifth dimension, who see things outside the norm, who, see, who get uh, intuition, and so on. Um, you know, you might turn around and say, ah, oh, but it's easy, the colour the color, uh, blind people, all they need to do is test for certain wavelengths of, you know, lengths of light and angstroms. Well, why should they? Why should they even know that different angst, different lengths of wavelengths have any relationship with colour? Why should they even know that? And even if they did, as I say, there's no commonality behind what's being described anyway, so they would have zero success there. Um, so sometimes we have to accept things that seem to go against the norm. Um, and this is why I talk about having a cognitive dissonance. And it's important to have cognitive dissonance. It's important to accept things that appear to go against our rationality. Because otherwise we're censoring things on the basis that they don't conform with what we already know. So we're never going to learn anything new. Now, this idea of understanding things in five dimensions is so important because it opens your mind up to possibilities, to things that appear to be coincidence or appears that seem to have no, no reason behind them can, can have a reason, but you might find it difficult to find what that reason is, to put your finger on it. There appears to be something there. And that feeling of something being there, but you're not quite sure what it is, is an important one. It's important to allow that to ferment in your mind. Because it will often yield results. So sometimes it has to sit around for years. These ideas about five dimensions were sitting around in my mind. And they gradually, gradually they took form over a period of years and years and years by thinking about them, concentrating or applying them, and forgetting about them for a period, letting them ferment in the background, and letting them come out again. And then they gradually take shape. And this is the real way of thinking, not this ridiculous cause and effect, narrow-minded, pseudo-scientific way of thinking that the scientists, or so-called scientists and the sceptics, and which our society is accepting as being the only proper way of looking at things. We must open our mind to the possibilities. And it is mind-blowing 
um, when you start to understand it. for listening you can email me phil at graham.net you can look at my website philip with one l dot graham dot net graham is b-r-a-h-a-m and if you send an email put podcast in the subject so it doesn't get lost Thank you.